um, and this animal spirits has declined a point um, in reference, which suggests that momentum has slowed. I think uh, clearly there is an impact uh, because of supply constraints, higher commodity prices. But uh, if you look at the services sector, it's actually increasing and had uh, had a, a large increase. It's more on the manufacturing side. We're starting to see maybe some impact of, of these uh, of these negative uh, factors coming in. So we'll watch over the next quarter or two. We still suspect that the RBI will need to hike uh, another 50 basis points to curb inflation, but they are also committed to trying to maintain growth momentum. And even though we've seen declines in forecasts of GDP in India, sort of 50 to 100 basis points across many of the economists, we're still looking at a growth rate of around 7% for this fiscal year. So uh, not bad for India still. Thanks very much, Toby. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this week. Um, in Australia, first of all, the ASX 200 is down 0.2%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is up just very slightly, about 0.1%. Cosby in South Korea uh, is up about a quarter of a percent, but I'm afraid looks like further declines for Hong Kong stocks at the open. Futures markets pointing to a decline of about 125 points for the Hang Seng when trading gets going in just under an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening this week. Have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Janice Wong and Andrew Work after the news. The weather forecast for today, sunny, very hot as you probably noticed. Maximum temperature could reach about 35 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. Going to remain fine and very hot over the weekend and early next week as well. That very hot weather warning is still in force. The temperature right now is 29 degrees, 79% relative humidity. The Times 8.32, here's Andrew Shorosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Unionist lawmaker Lam Chun Singh says the government should consider legislation to protect workers from heat stroke if there's no reduction in the number of cases. Official statistics show that more than 50 people were treated for heat stroke over the past three years. Mr. Lam from the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labor Unions questioned whether employers would follow updated guidelines on working in hot weather announced by the government yesterday. The guideline is very clear. For example, the government will suggest you to arrange the work before 10 a.m. or after 4 p.m. and you should increase the airflow with good ventilation system and the workers should wear pink and permeable clothing and to provide shelter area for rest and cool drinking water. But it is not a legislation and only guideline, and only to encourage the employer to follow. So there's a question that whether most of the employer will follow the guideline. The government has announced tougher testing requirements for care home staff and visitors. From August the 1st, anyone planning to visit a care home will have to obtain a negative PCR test in the previous 48 hours. From next Wednesday, staff will have to undergo PCR testing every week instead of every two weeks. A vaccine pass will be needed from August the 28th. Dr. Chuan Chukwan for the Center of Health Protection cited rising cases and infections at care homes. With the increasing number of cases in the community, there are lots of community transmission. So we also observed uh, uh, more cases in the uh, residential care homes. So we are afraid that the care homes, they are um, populated with um, frail elderly, and they may be suffering from more severe cases or even death. That's why um, we think that um, 
increasing frequency of testing among the staff is a good move. President Biden has tested positive for COVID-19. In a statement, the White House said that Mr. Biden, who's 79, was experiencing very mild symptoms and was being treated with the antiviral medicine Paxlovid. The BBC's John Sudworth reports from Washington. It sounds a note of reassurance, really, pointing out that President Biden is double vaccinated and double boosted. His symptoms are, uh, to use their words, very mild. They say that he is being treated with an antiviral drug. They've also released a letter from President Biden's doctor suggesting that those symptoms began uh, yesterday evening, describing the symptoms, uh, runny nose, uh, fatigue and occasional dry cough. Uh, But the White House statement making it very clear that it is business as usual. You've been listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning, and welcome to Back Chat with me, Andrew Work, and Janice Wong. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, okay, today is Friday, July 22nd, and today we'll talk about the debate over school rules on how long boys can keep their hair as a starting point for a larger discussion around human rights and how our institutions address gender dysphoria. A student has complained to the Equal Opportunities Commission after an unwanted haircut, saying the school policy on long hair for boys is discriminatory. There have been hundreds of thousands of views of the teen's viral social media post, and this raises the issue as to whether gender dysphoria has been overlooked by both schools and society at large. So, is this an anachronistic form of discrimination or a reasonable rule? Is hair just hair? Or does it need to become just hair, fair hair, or liberty locks? Or does it speak to a much broader issue? We're going to tackle that one in the first part of the show. And then after 9.15, we're going to look at the current status of the Chinese white dolphin activity in Hong Kong in advance of tomorrow's World Whale and Dolphin Day. So hit us now with your thoughts, your questions, and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us at 2338 8266. And we've got, a, we've got a rotating cast of guests today, and we're kicking off with the uh, barrister, Josea Chok, former chief officer at the Equal Opportunities Commission. Good morning, Josea. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, we're also welcoming uh, Joe Hoy, acting principal at the Hong Kong Institute of Contemporary Culture at the Lee Shao Ki School of Creativity. Good morning, Mr. Hoy. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Uh, Mr. Hoy, uh, you're, you're in a school. You've got a little bit of scope on this current situation. What's your take on the student and uh, his complaint and then his uh, you know, request to take it to the Equal Opportunity Commission? Have you ever seen anything like this from a student before, or is this something new to you, too? So uh, I would like to, before I personally appreciate the students to raise the issue and his concern, uh, especially he clearly stated that about his anxiety, about his self-identity. Uh, I think it's not uh, only about the issue about the uh, whether the hair is long or short. I think it's all about how we cater for students' uh, whole person development. Uh, for example, in our school, we allow students to keep their long hair for boys or girls. And the major concern is about how to we see education and how we cater for students' needs, especially for the young people at this stage 
how to define the, themselves as to become an adult. So their self-image is very much related to their self-identity. So uh, in our school, uh, we discuss with the teachers and the students on the requirement of the school uniform, the hairstyling, on whether even whether makeup should be allowed, and even we see the school rules. Uh, we not just see school rules is something top down by the teachers and the school. We will discuss this issue with all our students and teachers. Is is it a question of just equality in the rules? Like if you say no makeup, and that means no makeup for women and for men. Uh, or is it is it a question of uh, you know, or is it or is it a question of really the image that you want to present? I mean, you, you guys are a school of creativity and contemporary culture. It, it almost seems like you would encourage people to you know go crazy and, and you know really express themselves, whereas a more conservative school might have a different ethos. That may be one of the reasons uh, that we encourage creativity in our school. So we uh, allow our students to uh, to do what they want to do as a, a, crea uh, as a uh, creative workers. But uh, I think it's a very good start for the education sector to think about uh, what's the meaning behind school rules and what's the meaning behind uh, the, hair, the hair or something makeup. And I think uh, it's quite fair that uh, it's a very good chance to start this kind of dialogue. Uh, as just I say, uh, it's not just about hairstyle, but how to include students' views and their concern in our school governance, and also how they see the school as a community, and how to uh, respond to the uh, social expectation and other concerns from the society. Mm. Josiah Chalk, you, you were formerly at the Equal Opportunities Commission. Have sim is there precedent for this if similar cases come along? I mean, the, the whole uh, long hair, getting his hair cut in prison issue. I can recall that uh, in my time, yeah. that, that there were some uh, complaints too. But uh, during that time, we do not consider that case, uh, those cases uh, have breached the sex discrimination. And we judge... Uh, by quoting the uh, court precedents. Right, so uh, yeah, and I, I like to quote a case uh, of the Macmillan uh, in Northern Ireland. Exactly, a rule on the uh, hairstyle uh, restriction on boys, or on, on male students. And in that case, those uh, male students lost when they... Uh, Oppose the difference between the uh, male uh, and the female students regarding uh, long hair. Right. According to uh, the social media post, um, the, the uh, student was uh, inspired by former opposition lawmaker Leung Kok Hong's court case uh, that uh, Andrew just mentioned, uh, which uh, back in the year 2020 found that different yeah. haircutting standards for male and female prisoners uh, constituted uh, discrimination. Um, do you see any similarities between that case and uh, the one we're talking about today? I think the Leung case is a bit different when we study carefully the difference uh, in the policy, because in that case, the uh, department, the correctional services, I mean, uh, they impose a restriction that uh, male prisoners upon admission 
they have to cut their hair long. Uh, long. They, they have to cut their hair short. However, in comparison with male prisoners, they could retain whatever hairstyle upon admission, and that is different. Uh, when we quote the Mellon case, uh, it has listed a, a lot of consideration, and one item is. Very, very important is that for dress or appearance code, we could not compare uh, two categories of students, item by item. If the board or if the school could justify the reasons why they impose such restriction, then it is legal. All right, but in your view, um, apart from this Macmillan case you're talking about, just in your view, um, is it in violation of the sex discrimination ordin ordinance uh, for a school to uh, ban boys with uh, long hair? Uh, in, in my view, I, I do not agree that there, there was any breach. Uh, however, the student, if at the end they could, uh, he he could successfully convince the court, and that is the. Uh, the future we have to face. But when we apply the case, we have to apply the right case, not uh, mixing uh, learn with the Mamela. All right. We're, we've, got a, we've got a comment from one of our, uh, it's quite a long one, so uh, bear with me, people. Tammy Lai says, when we, this is from our Facebook page, when we observe our society, most adult men have short hair. The entertainment and creative industries are more accepting of men with long hair. The disciplined services in many service industries require male employees to keep their hair short. Male job seekers who insist on having long hair will have a harder time finding jobs and job seekers with short hair. School is a place where students are prepared to adapt to social life and enter the workplace in the future. When a school requires boys to have short hair, it helps them to conform to the mainstream value of our society and enter the workplace easier in the future. That's Tammy Lai, but she continues. For students with gender dysphoria, the best thing to do is to arrange counseling or psychotherapy for them in order to find out the reasons for gender dysphoria and help them build gender confidence. Usually this can reduce their anxiety. This is better than encouraging the students with gender dysphoria to transition socially, role-playing the opposite gender by changing name, hairstyle and school uniform, and using the toilet of the opposite gender. According to a number of studies, says our contributor, uh, most gender children with gender dysphoria will eventually accept their biological sex after going through puberty. Um, Joe Hoy, if you have students who raise these issues, what do you do? Do you direct them to counseling? Do you just say, great, this is how you want to identify, we're going to accommodate it? I mean, what, what is school procedure where you are? Oh, we won't, uh, we won't uh, see this kind of counseling, but instead we will discuss this issue uh, with students uh, if needed. Uh, for example, uh, our teachers, uh, what we call our mentors, uh, will discuss or uh, to raise this concern to the whole school society uh, to see what's the problem there. And in our school's own practice, we'll always make consensus with all school members on whatever the, uh, the issue they want to discuss. So um, I think it's not about uh, how we respond to the society, but uh, actually we want to response to the students needs uh, when they raise this kind of concern uh, we will try to communicate with them and we will try to make some consensus with the students 
I mean, you probably avoid some of it just because of someone's long hair. You guys don't care so much, so you know, just let him go, Janice. And uh, you know, Miss um, Mister Ho, Ho um, the teenager uh, who is challenging the uh, long hair ban for boys, uh, said he was forced to cut his hair after the school uh, threatened to uh, bar him from school activities or even suspend uh, suspend him as a punishment. What do you think of um, how that school handled this uh, situation? Well, first of all, uh, we may see. Uh, if the students raise his concern, I think uh, it's the best way to communicate with the student first to see uh, what's the needs of the student, uh, why he's so much concerned about uh, his uh, hair, and the reason behind this, uh, the school to make any judgment or uh, even punishment to the student. I think uh, it's better to have some conversation with students first. Uh, not uh, at the very beginning, uh, we see the student, I will punish you because you're violating the, the school rules. So uh, I think it's a good chance for us to rethink about uh, the meaning behind the school rules and how do we operate the school rule uh, in order to cater with students' uh, personal development needs. Okay. Now, the student Stanley Lam at the uh, Tungwa Group of Hospitals Wong Phut Nam College has claimed he's going to, I believe, bring the case to the Equal Opportunities Commission uh, to have the complaint against the school. And we now welcome on the line Ms. Shana Wong, who's the head of corporate communications from the Equal Opportunities Commission. Good morning, Ms. Wong. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so, so I mean, uh, you know, I just want to be really upfront with the listeners is that you, you're not in a position to comment on specific cases. So, you know, more probably what we're interested in is what is the procedure after you receive a complaint about any kind of discrimination? Like, what, what happens? Um, we will get the information and, uh, from both parties, and we will try to uh, strive for conciliation. Conciliation process is kept confidential, and so um, we cannot comment on the case right now. Yeah, so so you're saying that like probably a lot of the cases never actually come to court if, if you can successfully manage a reconciliation. Is that right? Uh, yes, that's true. Okay, and I mean, if that reconciliation doesn't work out, uh, then under what circumstances would you take further action, such as taking it to court? If a case is not conciliated, the complainant can consider bringing the case to the court by himself or herself, or they can apply to the EOC for other forms of assistance, uh, including legal assistance. Okay, and what's, what's, why would somebody choose one over the other? Um, well, Doing it privately it, versus getting EOC support. They can also go to the legal, um, legal, uh, legal aid department. But um, if um, they apply for the U apply to the UC and the UC feels that uh, there's a case and um, uh, the case raises a question of principle and the case is quite complex and the parties may be it may be difficult for the party to uh, deal with it unaided and there's strength of evidence and likelihood of success in court then we may uh, grant legal assistance to the case. Okay, I mean, uh, so first you try reconciliation, but if you don't, then you become an advocate. Is that correct? If, if the person successfully applies for EOC support and taking it to court, then, then you switch from being, hey, everybody get along to like, okay, we got to win this case. Is that right? Well, under the law, we will try conciliation first, and if it, and if it fails, we will uh, try to provide other legal assistance. 
Okay. Uh, Jose, you were a former, you're, you're a barrister. Did you work on these kind of court ca cases that actually were accepted to get uh, EOC support and go, go to court? I'm sorry to add that uh, uh, Shanna has uh, failed to mention the other function of the uh, uh, EOC. Uh, since EOC, I, I agree that they are not the adjudicator, but there was a provision in the sex discrimination ordinance section 80. If the EOC considers that the complaint is uh, amongst uh, one of the reasons spelled in section 80, I would call it low and lawful act, lacking in substance, they could discontinue the investigation. In fact, over 60% of the complaints were ended in that manner. Uh, they, uh, EOC was not established only for cancellation. They could discontinue the in investigation. As for me, in, in respect of this case, uh, now it's a one-side story. We have to look into the exp explanation given by the school authority on how the rules were made. As I quote the Macmillan case, the court was satisfied that the uh, school did not breach uh, 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 the law. And one major aspect we need to look into is that how the rule was uh, made uh, or was come out. Uh, in that school, there was a council comprising staff members, uh, board members, uh, uh, parents, and as well as students. They, they met uh, frequently to discuss school uh, administration uh, policies, amongst which school rule on dress code uh, was one of the items. And there was no mentioning of amending, um, amending the uh, rules. So that was one of the major considerations when deciding whether or not uh, such rule had breached the law. And uh, Mr. Chok, since you mentioned the sex discrimination ordinance, um, does it actually cover um, sexual orientation and gender identity? Uh, no. Sorry. Meanwhile, but for those people who are suffering but, uh, from uh, GD, uh, gender dysphoria, uh, the court will allow, because uh, apart from uh, sex uh, reasons, if for disability reasons, for health and safety reasons, and now uh, GD could be, uh, uh, the law could accommodate and the schools could accommodate those people who have been suffering from GD and got the medical certificate that they were undergoing uh, uh, what we call the real-life test, then the haircut or the hairstyle restriction could be lifted for, to accommodate their needs. But they do have to have a but you're saying they have to have a medical designation. Yes, of course. Otherwise, uh, some people just self-express that I have such a GD. Then it's not objectively proved that uh, they are they are having that. And uh, according to the legal de uh, de development, the the court will allow, uh, uh, even though the SDO sex uh, discrimination uh, does not protect. Uh, this category of people, we should consider more to accommodate
particularly the special needs of the GED on genuine grants. Mm. Uh, Joe Hoy, you, you said earlier that um, you tend to promote more uh, people, you know, having a discussion, but you don't you don't immediately direct them to counseling. If you directed them to counseling, would that put them in a position then to lo- maybe launch a lawsuit or a complaint? Oh, we. We seldom receive complaints from students about yeah. their, their, their school uniform or their school hair. But uh, I want to add some points on the education uh, uh, perspective that uh, if the school rules, uh, we, we have some uh, other, uh, some second thought or some thinking about its recent, reasonability. So uh, I think school rules should be allowed to discuss uh, not only uh, in, within the school, but uh, in the community at large. So uh, some school or some principal may uh, blame that uh, it's, a, it's about the school so-called tradition or expectations from the society. But if they just use this kind of excuse, I think it doesn't make sense. So uh, I, because I believe that our young people uh, would make a proper judgment over the school policy. And I'm confident that uh, the students are smart enough. Uh, I, want to also, I want also to add one more point to, in response to the legislative councillor, uh, Principal Jiu uh, on requesting the DB to provide guidelines on such issue. And I think uh, the whole education sector needs to rethink the meaning. So I don't think... Uh, Guidelines from EDB is a good way for us to start this conversation. But Mr. Ho, shouldn't schools have the right to decide on their own rules? Of course, yes, uh, because it's, uh, it's, uh, it, the, the, the power is dedicated to school to make its uh, own school rules and regulations. But of course, uh, it will under the conditions by the ordinance. Okay. Um, you know, Ms. Wong, I should give you an opportunity to respond to some of the comments from Josea Chalk and, and Joe Hoy. Did you, did you want to elaborate on, on any of the points that they made? Um, I just want to uh, stress that the UC deals with uh, the cases we received in accordance with our established procedures in a fair and impartial manner. Um, and we, we will take all relevant factors into consideration when we consider a case. So um, I think uh, schools, for, for schools, there should be flexibility to accommodate different needs. And uh, when we consider a case, we also uh, consider all kinds of factors, mm. including uh, social values and, uh, and, and the provisions in the law. Right. Okay. I have a question about procedure. Um, you know, given these, these are, we're talking about kids in high school, um, if, if you do launch an investigation into some of these cases, I mean, these are the, the investigations can take quite a long time, can't they? I mean, if, if somebody's in, whether it's high school or university, I mean, they, they could graduate and be well moved on by the time an investigation wraps up, or, or, or do things move fairly swiftly? Um, it, well, in the last year, most of the cases that we handle can be uh, closed within 100 days. Of course, there are cases that drag on for quite a bit, but um, we will uh, strive to uh, make the cases uh, settled as soon as possible. Okay. Um, Joe Hoy, I know we've only got you for a few more minutes uh, on the show before because you're going to be leaving us for the second part, but um, 
you're a, you're a principal at a school. This has been a huge uh, social media hit with students uh, and is still trending very heavily in Hong Kong. Uh, has it started a discussion in your school? Should parents who are, you know, whether they're students or parents who are listening to the show, should they expect the conversation to come to them very quickly? So um, I think, yes, uh, if students' request is reasonable, then why, we, why don't we start the conversation to start to discuss about the reasonability of the school rules? And we have to change our mindset. Uh, on the so-called tradition or the expectations from the society. I think it's a good start. Yeah, because I know this has been a big discussion in the, with them among international school kids. I've got one kid graduated from high school and another's in high school. They've been talking about this stuff like all the time. Yeah. For years. I mean, I've been hearing about it for about 10 years from my kids now. I mean, like all the time, easily like the biggest social topic that gets brought home. Is it is it just now arriving in local schools or is this just something that's kind of brought it from the school level up to the, the public, you know, the broader public? Yeah, I think uh, led us to do this huge and big conversation together and to make our school rules to be aligned with the development of the society. All right. Well, that uh, takes us almost to the top of the hour. I'd uh, like to thank uh, some of our guests are going to be leaving. Some are going to be staying. Ms. Shana Wong, the head of corporate communications at the Equal Opportunities Commission, is going to be leaving. Thank you for joining us, Ms. Wong. Uh, also, uh, Joe Hoy, acting principal of the Hong Kong Institute of Contemporary Culture, HKICC, that the Lee Shao Key School of Creativity uh, is leaving us. But we're going to continue with Josea Chuck, who is the former chief officer at the Equal Opportunities Commission. Uh, we're going to give you a quick hit on the weather. Uh, no surprise, it's July, sunny, very hot during the day, maximum temperature of 35 degrees in the urban areas. The weekend temperatures could hit as high as 35 degrees, so watch yourself out there, people. Take care of yourself. Very hot weather warning in effect. Temperature 29 degrees, 79 degrees, uh, 79 percent humidity. Many other members of the international community. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Back Chat with me, Andrew Work, and Janice Wong. Good morning, Janice, again. Good I just morning. Want, I, just keep love, I just want to say hello to you so many times. This fills me with joy. Um, I'd also like to welcome back uh, our guest who was with us for the first part of the show, Josea Chuck, who's the former chief officer at the Equal Opportunity Commission. Josea, still there? Yes. Excellent. And we'd also like to welcome now to the show Diana Kwok, who is an associate professor uh, and at the Department of Special Education and Counseling, at the Education University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Diana Kwok. Hello. Hi. Hi. Good okay. morning. So we've got, um, so, you know, as, as you know, Diana, we're talking about this issue of uh, the student who has launched a complaint against the school for making him cut his hair. Uh, but really what we're talking about is gender dysphoria. Just to address the email of Phil B., who says, we must be getting very desperate to have the subject of hair length as a main back chat subject. Come on, let's get something more interesting. But what we're really talking about, and the real complaint, is uh, this issue that institutions are ignoring gender dysphoria when people have confusion or uh, about their gender identity. Uh, Diana Kwok, would you say that accusation that's been leveled is fair? Are institutions uh, ignoring this issue? Yes, actually, um, I totally agree with um, uh, the student uh, say that um, the gender dysphoria uh, phenomenon has been, um, you know, um, uh, not being seen or not being recognized by uh, 
the school educators and uh, school social workers, and even the parents as well. The whole uh, society uh, have been overlooked the impact of gender dysphoria on the mental health of the students. And um, I have worked with uh, the students before, and they almost 90% uh, met with difficulties in schools and in families as well. Right. Ms. Kwok, can you explain more precisely what gender dysphoria is? Um, it's a uh, discrepancy between one's gender identity and, um, you know, sex assigned at birth. And the earliest case I have seen in Hong Kong is uh, three or four years old. And it's not only happened in secondary school, uh, also uh, the kids in um, kindergarten and primary school uh, may come across uh, difficulties um, of this discrepancy between one's gender identity and biological sex. And uh, do many health professionals here know how to deal with it? Um, not many people uh, understand, especially the helping professionals. Um, and two years ago, I believe that the government has increased around 400 to 500 school social workers in school uh, because of the mental health challenge of the students. Um, however, I haven't seen much training uh, for the school social workers to understand uh, gender dysphoria issues or transgender students' concern in schools. Uh, not like those training for uh, students for special educational needs, though we have a lot of training for educators and social workers on students with special educational needs or general mental health concerns, but not specifically on uh, students with gender dysphoria concerns. And uh, earlier, uh, before the news, uh, we heard from uh, Mr. Chalk, who uh, said that uh, schools can really just uh, offer students uh, assistance if uh, they get a medical certificate uh, confirming that they have uh, gender dysphoria. What, what is the situation like? I mean, is that... Um, what... Yeah, uh, I come across that some schools may, um, uh, may accept that uh, a medical uh, letter from a psychiatrist um, may help the school to arrange special accommodations for these students. But not all of them, you know, uh, able to offer these uh, accommodations or some of the schools even um, um, able to, you know, to, to offer some accommodations only by wearing the um, PE, uh, you know, uniforms, not the uh, boys' or girls' uniforms. So uh, still there is not 100% accommodation, uh, even though uh, I have heard a case like um, a trans boy uh, having offered to wear boys' uniform, but still the, you know, the school um, did not allow him to go into boys' toilet. So um, even the accommodation is kind of confusing accommodation or not 100% 100 accommodation for the students. So do you mean there was a female student who wanted to identify as a boy, so they let her wear the uniform but wouldn't let her go in the men's room? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, like, um, a, uh, a, like uh, a student with um, female uh, biological sex uh, is a female and then uh, self-identify as a boy. And with parents' letters, 
and uh, medical certificates. The school allowed the student to wear boys' uniform, but still um, did not allow him to go into a boys' toilet. So, right. yeah, so that's uh, very difficult for the for the students, and um, you know, create a lot of confusion yeah. on other kids. As well. So Josea's talk is still with us. Um, Josea, you know, we, we've, we've touched on this issue of having to get some kind of a designation before, but I mean, would it be a strategy for schools to either accommodate or avoid counseling to then avoid legal exposure? I mean, once somebody has official counseling for gender dysphoria or uh, they've got a certificate of some court that says that they're being treated, then they put themselves in the, the position to launch a lawsuit. So do schools have an incentive to avoid um, getting students into counseling, to actually try to, yeah, you know, don't go yeah, to counseling, anything but? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand yeah, this I, I mean, um, you have to have the case, you know, like this um, student, uh, um, you know, the student raised the case to Equal Opportunities Commission. Um, but uh, I, I don't know how, you know, um, effective it will be. Yeah. Uh, for the change of the uh, policy. Jo- and, jo- but, uh, but I, I did want to get to this question, and, and as Josea can maybe address it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have experience in handling a GED case. Even though uh, they, uh, uh, nowadays we don't have the uh, transgender law in Hong Kong, we could accept complaints uh, lodged by people having GED uh, because that is a kind of uh, disability. Uh, uh, classified in the law. Yeah, but what, what I'm asking is, as a lawyer, would you advise a school to say, don't get the kids into counseling, make sure they don't get anything formal, because if they do, then they can launch uh, a formal complaint I, I and you're to exposed to lawsuits. The school is in a very dangerous position if if the school authority ignores the needs of the uh, people or students having GD. Uh, yeah. As uh, 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 Ms. Cork has mentioned, uh, the a combination should be holistic, not only on uniform or something like that. And there is a, a, a legal decision in UK where, where, whereby Hong Kong will take a lot of uh, reliance on that because in that case, even though it, is a, uh, it was an employment case, uh, an applicant, uh, female to uh, a male uh, applying for the post of the police constable. Mm-hmm. And that applicant is undergoing real-life tests for uh, uh, transgender uh, reassignment. And that application was rejected because uh, the, the police authority considered that uh, the applicant could not uh, perform intimate search on, on, on the suspects. And that case was thrown out by the uh, that time, the House of Lords now it is the Supreme Court. Uh, so, I strongly advise the school authority must take heed of the needs of the uh, people or students with DD. So, you, so you're saying definitely address it. Don't try to sweep it under the carpet to avoid legal exposure. Yes, um, yes. yes. D- Diana Kwok, do, do uh, is that an important message for schools and, and people in other institutions, whether it be um, government, corporate? Yeah, that, that, that is uh, as very important message for schools. The students difficulties here uh, right now uh, for the students under the age of 18, they don't have, uh, you know, they cannot be accessible to uh, the gender uh, clinic service 
at the hospital authority in Hong Kong, they will not uh, allow those uh, students uh, under 18 with gender dysphoria to access their service. They can, you know, the students can only go to the private psychiatrist. And there is a lack of, um, you know, psychiatrists with the knowledge of gender dysphoria. There's a few, I understand, but not all. Mm-hmm. And uh, also the school may be affected by the school's religious uh, values or, you know, affiliations. Sure. Um, the students uh, come from a Kowloon City uh, school district. And then I make... Um, um, I count the school there, and there is a total of 37 schools, and 24 of them, like uh, 64% around, uh, are religious affiliated. And then even the counseling uh, professionals, like the school social workers, they come from, um, like, take an example of Kowloon City School District, 73% of the school social work organizations uh, come from religious organizations. Um, I believe there are some oppositions and uh, influence mm. of uh, religious uh, opposition about uh, whether they allow the students, uh, you know, have these kinds of accommodations. Maybe not just parents or maybe not just from religious <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to read an email now from one of our readers. And, and, and you know, you talk about counseling for the, for the, stu- for the students that have issues. This this email might be more for the direction for the parents, how a lot of parents might think. Um, this is from David. The whole situation is becoming ridiculous now. Man was made as man. Woman was made as woman. Transgender is just becoming job cre- a job creation scheme for those that have a problem. Schools were made to educate children and install discipline, and that is why you have rules. Rules were also made in schools to keep the children equal. To let the government overpower school rules gives the schools no power for discipline. Uh, short hair was also being installed in schools to stop head lice and also to differentiate between boys being boys and girls being girls. When you reach the age of 18, you'll be much wiser and should know which direction and decisions you wish to make. To start talking about gender at an early age in schools is putting weird ideas into children's heads. Is that something you come across maybe in the parents more often? Yeah, I believe so. Some parents and even counselors, school social workers, they have this kind of binary definition of gender. Uh, it's kind of, uh, actually, uh, in Hong Kong, our sexuality education, um, the curriculums uh, come from the binary definitions, more um, heterosexual-based or cisgender-based. So um, this kind of issue or the student's concern, or I mean the concern from transgender students, um, may be overlooked because they are not included in the curriculum not included in the um, uh, in, in, in the sexuality education. Most of them are binary, you know, binary concepts. Um, mm-hmm. So just like the parents uh, from your email, it's got boys like, to, you know, boys have to be boys, girls have to be girls. Yeah. It's, it's very... Um, Ms. Cook, yeah. Cook, I mean, uh, like uh, what David was mentioning, and also in the uh, social media post, um, uh, the, the student actually said uh, after cutting, after he was made to cut his hair, he, he felt like uh, he, um, he looked pretty uh, unconfident, he said. Um, uh, how strongly linked is one's perception of themselves uh, tied to their physical appearance? Um, I also read the uh, message of the student from the social media. So, um, because without uh, the confirmation from uh, the students, I'm not, you know, 
um, I'm not sure um, how it affects uh, the students' mental health. Um, but uh, from the social media, I saw the pronouns is she or her. So this is the only message I can get. Um, and, and, and the students say that are uh, uh, suffering from uh, some kind of gender dysphoria. But uh, I, I'm not sure, you know. Uh, so I, I, I suggest the, the, the teachers and school social workers uh, need to, you know, to discuss with the students about the gender identity and then how the gender dysphoria affects, um, you know, the mental health. But, but in or, general, uh, but in general, Ms. Kuo, how, how strongly is uh, one's perception of themselves uh, tied to their physical appearance? In general, you mean the, the, those suffering from gender dysphoria or, um, you know, just um, the general students? General, general, general student population, general population, yeah. Um, I, I think uh, for the students going through um, adolescence, they may have the bodily change. Um, this is also a general uh, developmental need for the students. But for the students with gender dysphoria specifically, they have additional you know, stress uh, and mental health issues related to the um, inconsistency between the body and um, and the identity. Yeah, one of the complaints was that society at large doesn't understand the amount of mental pressure people are put under. I mean, does this express itself in, do we have statistics on things like self-harming or suicide uh, from yeah, people that yeah, are suffering yeah. from this issue? Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, definitely. do we have those numbers? No, but do we have um, those numbers? Uh, in, in actually, um, in my research for the qualitative research, um, uh, in my studies, uh, qualitative interviews with these uh, young students, almost, I believe, 90, 90% of the, the students I interview with gender dysphoria have um, mental health concerns and also uh, suicidal ideations. And uh, from the international studies, um, uh, transgender students with um, gender dysphoria has the highest um, um, suicidal and mental health uh, risk uh, among the um, general uh, adolescents' mental health concerns. So they have the highest um, suicidal risk. Okay, so very serious issue. We should, uh, you know, if we care about our kids, we should take it very seriously. Thank you very much to Ms. Shanna Wong, the head of corporate communications at the Equal Opportunities Commission. And also Barrister Josea Chalk, the former chief officer at the Equal Opportunities Commission, who are leaving us now. Um, switching gears a little bit, we're going to talk about uh, what is, for a lot of people, their favorite animal in Hong Kong. Tomorrow's whale, uh, the World Whale and Dolphin Day. And so we are going to welcome uh, Hong Kong's whale and dolphin expert, Doris Wu, the Cetacean Conservation Manager at WWF Hong Kong. Hello, Doris. Inviting me. Absolutely. So, Doris, tell us what is the deal with our now white dolphins or pink dolphins? For me, it was like always pink dolphins, but then people started saying, well, they're really, they're, the species' real name is white dolphins, but they just look pink because their blood vessels show that. What's, what's the deal? Are they white or are they pink, or are we talking about two different things? Well, actually, they are both correct because for, uh, for the dolphins, their skin is actually in white. But then when they uh, like swim continuously, 
the, the the color of their blood underneath the skin will reflect out, and that's why it usually for the adult dolphins they appeared in pink. So we would say like both correct, and they're referring to the same species. Right. So we say white. So now we say white, even though we all know they look yeah. pink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not- let's. Call them white open. Not confusing at all. Okay, gotcha. And what is their status? What is like? How are they performing? We, we've heard a lot of bad news about their their status in, in you know over the past twenty, thirty years, ongoing. But how are they doing lately? Well, uh, actually, they're not doing very well. Um, so for for the dolphins observed in Hong Kong, it actually belongs to the larger per capita population. Uh, for the population, it has kind of reached their minimum viable population size, meaning that like uh, they have around 2,000 individuals. So for that, this number, although it sounds a lot, but it is actually the minimal numbers that they can recover in the future, meaning like if they fall below 2,000, it will be very hard for them to uh, go up in numbers again. So for Hong Kong, we also observe a very significant decline, over 80% in the past 17 years. So that's why we strongly encourage um, that timely action to be taken in order to uh, for them to avoid local, local extinction. Right, so I was looking um, at your uh, press release yesterday, and uh, in the first paragraph, it says uh, there's been a dramatic increase in uh, white dolphin occurrences. Uh, what does that actually mean? I mean, now you're saying uh, the numbers are falling. Mm-hmm. So for uh, we, we actually conduct a study during the ferry cessation period, and we realized, for, especially for Chinese white dolphin, the daily occurrence of um, fan lao, which is a place frequent by them uh, also before the uh, cessation period, uh, has significantly increased, meaning like um, with uh, a larger and less disturbed habitat at the dolphin's disposal, the animal will observe to uh, use the area more often. And apart from like uh, appearing more often, they also exhibit more diverse behavior, for example, more feeding and also more socializing behavior. And we even uh, recorded like milling and resting behavior that had not been recorded near the ferry over the past five years. Yeah, the ferries are part of the pro- are they part of the story now? Because with with COVID over the past couple of years, of course, a lot of ferries have been canceled. Either like Hong Kong Macau ferries completely wiped out, or uh, local ferries running reduced schedules. Is that helping? Uh, yeah, because like during the ferry cessation period, um, the cross-border ferry operations between Hong Kong and Macau has been like completely uh, suspended. So right now there's like nearly no operations. But before cessation, they're operating actually like 24-7, uh, like at the peak period, they, they there was a ferry every 15 minutes, so which is like super frequent. And um, according to last uh, September's figure that I quickly searched for yesterday um, from the Agriculture, Fisheries and Conservation Department, um, there were 37 uh, Chinese white dolphins in Hong Kong. Um, so, so approximately how many do we have right now? Um, well, for a, a more recent number, we'll have to wait for uh, AFCD to, to announce that. But... Um the, the declining trend, we should also pay attention to the declining trend because it's like over 80% of decrease. So that's already a very alarming sign mm-hmm. that we'll have to um, like do something for 
for the uh, local situation. Right. And uh, earlier you said uh, there are more dolphin activities recently, there are more socializing. Did, did you um, um, see any baby dolphins? Yeah, we do. Actually, for both uh, Chinese white dolphins and also Finnish porpoise, we observe and recorded mother and calf pairs as well, which is good. But we have to keep in mind that because for, uh, especially for Chinese white dolphin, they usually reproduce every three to five years. So that means like uh, if there's any increase in occurrence or uh, sighting of mother and calf pair, that doesn't really mean that they increase in actual numbers because um, for slowly reproducing dolphins, they need more time than uh, one or two years of various decision time uh, to, to recover in actual numbers. Gotcha. So uh, I noticed you dropped a little mention of the finless porpoises. Uh, of course, the, the Chinese white dolphins are not the only game in town. We also have uh, other dolphins in Hong Kong. Wh- where are they located and how are they different? Mm-hmm. So compared to white dolphins, uh, finless porpoise use more offshore waters because they feed on different stuff. I mean, different prey. Mm-hmm. Um, so for uh, porpoise, usually we see them uh, in, during dry season from December to May around South Lantau waters. And for the remaining time, they are more, uh, their distribution is more dispersed and more uh, eastward. So for summer, for example, for summertime, we, they, they are sometimes sighted of uh, cyclone waters. Do they ever encounter each other? Have they ever been, have the two species ever been in, uh, observed interacting in the wild? Uh, not really, interestingly, uh, because like according to our acoustic studies, um, although they have like uh, uh, we, we recorded a spatial overlap between uh, their distribution, which is at the Soko Islands, but we realized that when uh, white dolphins were were using the waters, we couldn't see any um, porpoise and vice versa. So we believe that in terms of time, they kind of like um, separate their niche into like different temporal periods. Okay, and how are the finless porpoises doing? What what are their what's what's their estimation of their population numbers, and what is the trend? Um, well, honestly speaking, for this species, it's a lot more um, like less studies. We compared to dolphins, uh, we don't know much of them because it's super elusive. They avoid balls, so in the field, it's already like a lot more difficult to see them. But um, there's a recent study saying uh, for porpoise in Hong Kong waters, the number is more or less around the same compared to uh, that in 20, in 2000, which is around 200 individuals. So should we should we be concerned? Is is now the time to panic, as as the old line goes? Oh uh, well, definitely because like according to uh, the stranding records, we have uh, I mean like for for the peak year, I forgot if it's 2019 or 18, we have like um, almost 30 porcoys, uh I mean, 30 cases of um, uh, discovering porcoys carcasses. So the, the in terms of the actual number, it's actually quite alarming when we look at like how many porcoys we have in total in Hong Kong waters. Okay, um, Doris, we're we're gonna have to uh, wrap this up soon, but I, I have one important thing I wanted to get to because I'm from the I'm from the west coast of Canada, and orcas are a big part of our iconography, uh, also known as killer whales. Um, killer whales, n- uh, not whales, correct? 
They are dolphins. They're they are the largest. Do- yeah. Yes. Okay. And for people, I noticed that your title is the cetacean conservation manager. And cetacean is, is that strictly dolphins or does that also include whales? Uh, it actually is a collective term of dolphin and whales. Mm-hmm. But of course, like in Hong Kong, we, we don't really like have uh, whales residing in Hong Kong waters regularly. We also like keep an eye on them. But if one did come, you would be the woman to call. Uh, yes. If somebody says there's <laughs> and I'd a whale. love to see them as well. <laughs> oh, you have seen whales in Hong Kong waters? Uh, not really in Hong Kong waters, but like overseas. Okay. But I know that there were um, a large whale visiting Hong Kong waters last year. Right, okay. And recently. Mm-hmm. Well, I do still remember my uh, Kingdom of Highland class order, family genus species from my, my biology classes, but a cetacean, I think, is a suborder category. Is that right? Mm-hmm. All yeah. right, good. And you're the cetacean expert, so thank you very much to Doris Wu, cetacean conservation manager at WWF Hong Kong. All right, and we're going to be wrapping up the show today. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, David had another email on the same line as his previous one for our gender dysphoria talk. We didn't have time to get to it today. Uh, David, feel free to get to our back chat page, as can all our listeners. I'd also like to mention that on my outro for the first section, I accidentally uh, read the wrong name. The guest, of course, was Diana Kwok, Associate Professor from the Department of Special Education and Counseling, Education University of Hong Kong. Uh, today, I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who sent in emails or got on our, our uh, Facebook page. Also, big thanks to my co-host, Janice Wong. Thank you. All right. And our producer, Yuki Tsang, and my sound man, Andy. And he is inspiring me with his long, sexy silver locks. I got a way to go to catch up to you, Andy, and I'm working on it. Uh, Everybody, make sure you tune in Monday for more Back Chat with Janice again and Mike Rouse and another panel for our hot, hot summer guests. Our weather is uh, right now 30 degrees Celsius, 76% humidity. Going to hit a high of 35, so please, please, people. Watch out and take care of yourselves. This has been Back Chat. There are more.